Welcome to the Cyborg Repair Manual. If you're sick of scrolling and ready to use the internet and devices for good instead of wasting time, you've come to the right place. Most of us are used to the concept of phones being bad for mental health, but I truly believe it's not devices that are bad for us, it's two particular use cases. First, is being at the mercy of feeds which basically make us play Russian roulette with our emotions. What am I going to see next? Will it make me happy or horrified? <laughs> that sort of thing. The other problem people get into is using devices as a way to distract from emotions constantly. When used in moderation, this works okay. However, in my experience, using devices and the internet to numb my everyday emotions was making me procrastinate on everything important to me because I didn't know how to handle the daily negative emotions that come up when I tried to pursue my goals. However, at this point in my life, my digital habits aren't stopping me from getting things done and some of them even help my well-being. While I do think a digital detox isn't a bad idea, we need to think about how to create a sustainable relationship with our devices that we can keep up with on a daily basis. Any good digital setup will work to combat common sources of internet-based anxiety. As someone diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, I'm always looking for ways to chill out. I found some strategies that help me manage my anxiety in digital spaces. Just a quick disclaimer, I am not a professional, I'm just someone who has changed their tech habits for the better, and this podcast is meant as a supplement to mental health care, not a replacement. One way I use my devices that is obviously beneficial is going to telehealth therapy, and I think that this can be a very cl cliche suggestion, but it's for a good reason. I would not have made the progress that I made with no surf if I wasn't in therapy because I think that preoccupation with the internet is generally driven by some underlying goal to escape reality and therapy helps us deal with that head on. And I get overstimulated a lot of the time when leaving my house, so the telehealth aspect is really important for me. And most therapists offer telehealth now. You don't have to go through the expensive options that seem to dominate online advertising. You can use psychologytoday.com or your insurance's website to find a good match. While we're on the subject of really cliche mental health advice, the first well-being related thing I ever used my phone for was learning how to meditate. I learned using Headspace in 2016, and after having the premium version for a year, I now don't subscribe to it anymore and meditate on my own with just music and a timer. Another great meditation app is called Insight Timer, and most of the meditations on it are completely free. So whether you want to meditate in arm's reach of your phone or put it in another room while you practice is up to you. There is more of a potential that you'll pick up your phone to do something quickly if you have it next to you, but often I simply get urges to use my phone and I can watch them in a detached way as part of my meditation practice. If you're concerned that you'll remember something really important that you need to look up, you can keep a notepad next to you to jot something down. This tip seems to be controversial in meditation circles as some say it takes you out of the practice. This is why I try to only take notes that I absolutely need to remember. Anyways, I feel like meditating next to my phone gives me a chance to get a little bit of space between me and my internet urges. Being mindful of what my brain is doing at any given moment is so helpful for my anxiety. Practicing mindfulness actually changed the way I experience anxiety. It's much more of a physical sensation now, and I feel more detached from most of the anxious thoughts that do spring up. 
Now when I have anxiety, it feels like less of a disaster and I'm less inclined to cope in a negative way. It's so important to develop awareness about negative thought spirals, which are so common in anxiety disorders. After dealing with this for years, my perspective of it has totally flipped. Before therapy and mindfulness practice, I was caught up in my worries and completely engrossed in them all day. I would spend literally entire days daydreaming about how my future would turn out or about things I regretted from the past. It bled into my reliance on the internet as well, as I would Google about my worries constantly. Worried about my career? Instead of doing something about it, my brain was like, How about we only research the topic and never even start on a plan to pursue the goal? Google is an infinitely valuable resource, but I needed to make boundaries with myself. One bad Google habit I had was constantly searching up things about my mental illness. According to a study in the journal Computers and Human Behavior, searching for health information online can be a precursor to developing health anxiety. Without diagnosing myself, I definitely can be prone to constantly Googling my symptoms. And this is like programming my brain to be consistently worried about my illness. My therapist told me if you search for stuff about your illness, expect to feel bad afterwards. And that has definitely been what happens. So now I only look up symptom related stuff when I'm feeling upbeat and able to deal with the anxiety gremlins. I strictly avoid this if I'm already feeling tired, grumpy, or anxious. Another thing that is important when cultivating a calming digital environment is to be selective about what notifications you receive. I only access social media through the browser, so I don't get any of those notifications. I don't get email notifications, and I have texts and calls on Do Not Disturb during school hours. I recommend only getting notifications from real people trying to contact you and reminders for appointments, habits, etc. Remember, by controlling your notifications, you control your attention. So be careful to only have the important ones pinging for your attention. Another way you control your attention is news feeds. I try to limit news feeds in general because the only one I found that was perfectly curatable is Pinterest. Without curating feeds, you run the risk of opening up social media with the goal of being entertained and can easily end up becoming enraged or scared. If you do want some kind of newsfeed to scroll, Pinterest is hands down the most curatable social media feed, the only one that I think is properly curatable. It will only recommend things similar to what you viewed, and you can easily edit your viewing history by going to settings, then home feed tuner. I like to limit all other feeds. Uh, YouTube can be curated somewhat. It will give me random suggestions of things I would like, but in general, I haven't gotten too many upsetting recommendations, which is good. Um, I just try to limit access to the YouTube recommendation algorithm in general. Lately, I haven't been scrolling on it at all because I've been using NewPipe, which is an Android app downloadable through F-Droid. I've enjoyed going back to the old school days of YouTube and only watching the things I search for and subscribe to because you can customize it and pick your feeds basically and it doesn't have the recommendations. So that's been nice. I know that remaining ignorant to upsetting things going on in the world is a really bad idea, but for me, I think it's good to quarantine upsetting content to certain times of the day when you're mentally prepared, not when you're trying to unwind and be entertained. So I do have a regular to-do task that says check the news basically, and then I can look at the news when I'm prepared and not when I'm just wanting to relax. But don't take my word for it. 
Allison Holman, a professor of psychological science at the University of California, Irvine, researches how media and trauma interact. She recommends choosing a time of day to view news and setting a time limit. This could be twice a day for 15 to 20 minutes at a time. The important thing is to give your brain a break and not be consuming news all day. She also explains that it is healthier to read articles on intense subjects rather than consuming graphic images, which can be more mentally destabilizing than words. This is why I love Wikipedia current events because it doesn't have a lot of images and if you want to click on the article and look into it more you can but just on the feed itself there's not a lot of images and then there's not a lot of what's the word editorialization it's not dramatized it's, it's an encyclopedia so it's pretty straight to the point and that helps me stay reasonably informed but keep my head on straight and for the rest of it i find that just talking to people you'll get the rest of the information you don't get from constantly scrolling. Like people will fill you in because people like to talk about current events. So you'll know. While it's important to stay informed, drowning in this stuff will just make us feel powerless, especially if we feel there's nothing we can do. In addition to limiting news exposure, a great way to feel better during world crises is to find something you can do to help, even if it's small. Obviously, the thing on everybody's minds right now is Gaza, and I do have a suggestion for an easy way to help Palestinians. So if you're in the US, I have a resource linked in the description that will help you call your representative. The organization will call you and route your phone to your representative, and they can give you a script to read to your rep to show your support for a ceasefire in Gaza. Another digital habit that is great for regulating anxiety for me is listening to music. I feel that music serves as a nice complement to life rather than a distraction from it because you can easily listen while doing other things. I have a couple of playlists pinned on Spotify that are my go-to calm down playlists. I like to listen to them when I'm in public to ease my discomfort about being around strangers. Uh, noise cancelling headphones are a major plus with this method, and if you don't feel like dropping $300 on a pair of nice ones, I found a cheaper option. You can get a pair of earbuds that physically block out some sound for around $20 and a pair of shooting range headphones that will block out the rest, most of the rest of the sound for even cheaper. I'll list what I use for this in the show notes. And just having this on hand is really life-changing for me. I don't think I'd be able to go outside <laughs> without it because I'm so sensitive to sound and I need quiet to be calm. So it's really important to me. Um, and according to WebMD, people with anxiety and other neurodivergence like autism and ADHD tend to have sensory sensitivities. So for me, blocking out sound can really help provide that sense of calm that I so desperately crave. In this episode, we covered digital strategies for dealing with anxiety. I talked about things that work best for me, including telehealth therapy, using my phone as a meditation tool, making news feeds less chaotic, strategic news consumption, and using music to provide a sense of calm. This is a pretty exhaustive list of the best strategies I've found for navigating a technological landscape as a person living with anxiety. I hope these ideas are helpful, but the most important thing to remember is that all mental states come and go, and negative emotions will always pass. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cyborg Repair Manual. If you're enjoying the show, please consider giving it a five-star rating. That really helps me get the show off the ground and make more episodes.